Well, we are kind of right in the middle of our sermon series as we've been walking through the Lord's Prayer. And last week we finished the first part of that prayer that includes an introduction, but then also uh, the first set of three petitions that are intended to focus our hearts and our minds upon our Heavenly Father. In particular, to focus us first and foremost upon the awesomeness of God whom it is that we are speaking to when we're praying. Also to focus us upon the reality of the presence and the power of his kingdom that, that is alive and present amongst us in this world. And that is an extension of that, understanding his will in terms of who he wants us to be, but then also not just the who, but also the do. Who does he want us to be to go forth to do things in his name? And all of these, all of these things are to be done on earth as it is in heaven. How are they done in heaven? Well, as far as glorifying his name, experiencing the presence and power of his kingdom, being and doing the will of God as it exists in heaven, it exists in complete glory. And in this full revelation of those things are known there. And we're saying in this opening part of the prayer, we want more of that. We, we want that to come down and be realized here on earth. And now today we enter into the second set of petitions. Where we're focusing upon now our needs, uh, our possibly even our failures, uh, our struggles that we have and as we present these things to God. Now order is important because as Jesus is instructing his followers then, he's, he's instructing us now in praying that if we need, that we need to set our heart upon the things of God if we're going to pray in alignment with God. That means if you want to know how to pray better, as we sometimes ask, if we want to pray more effectively, if we want to understand prayer a little better, if we want to see more prayers answered, this is where we begin. We begin by focusing and aligning ourselves upon the heavenly rather than upon the worldly. Because let's just be honest for a second. Can we do that? Just be honest and think, you know, my natural leanings are not always to the heavenly. They're left to my own devices, the own desires of my own heart, the way that we view the world sometimes. Can, can we be honest and say, you know, that's sometimes different than how God views things? Am I the only one, maybe, <laughs> who has that problem? I, I think we all share in this. And so in particular, it shows up when we start to define the word daily needs. It shows up when we start to pray the words, give us today our daily bread. Now in some parts of the world, like, like in Sudan and Burundi and, and Haiti, when they, they pray these words, give us today our daily bread, this is a literal prayer. Lord, give us bread today. We need food in our bellies today. It's a literal prayer. In some parts of the world, that's the reality that they live amongst. In North America, however, we don't, we don't have the same challenges. In North America, where we find ourselves amongst the richest in the world, how are we to understand this term daily bread. Now Martin Luther pointed out to us in some of his writings that he summarized the term daily bread as referring to everything, everything that belongs to the support and the wants of the body. So this would include things like food, drink, clothing, shoes, house, home. He, he even included fields, cattle, money, goods, etc. Now I don't know about you, but I can honestly tell you, never once in my life when I've been praying for daily bread or otherwise have I prayed for cattle. I, I've, 
I've never prayed for a cow before. Maybe I'm unique to that. If you grew up on the farm, you probably have prayed for cows before. I personally have never prayed for cows before, but I think we understand what he's trying to get at in this phrase. What he's saying is that when we pray for our daily bread, we're saying, Lord, take care of our needs. You've got to take care of our needs. Now, for me, when I think about basic needs, I think about these necessities of life. Lord, take care of food, of clothing, of shelter. That's where my mind goes. And maybe you can understand that as well. But here's the problem. If that's how we understand daily bread, if that's how we understand it, then from our North American context, how would we continue to pray this? Because we mostly, probably all of us, already have these things. So perhaps we should stop praying it then. There was a lady named Hetty Green who lived at the turn of the century, like not this last century, like a century earlier, the 1900s. And, and she was a financier. She was a member of the New York Stock Exchange. And she had the label of being the wealthiest woman in America. So back around 1900, it, she was known to never have a bank account balance below $31 million. In 1900 dollars. We're talking billions in today's world. When she died, her estate was valued well over $100 million. Now, here's the thing about Hetty. She was not only known as the wealthiest woman in America, she also has an entry in the Guinness Book of World Records. And she's not in the Guinness Book of World Records for, for having the fanciest or the most number of hats or shoes. She's not in there for being the wealthiest person in America. She is entered into the Guinness Book of World Records for being the world's greatest miser. She's a real-life Scrooge, to the point where they put her in the book. You see, she never spent any money. She lived, she had all this money that she just kind of pooled together and kept in a pile, but she lived on cold oatmeal. She lived in a frigid house because she refused to pay for heat. She had a son who ended up having to have his leg amputated. She could have paid for the surgery to save the leg, but she allowed her son to have his leg amputated instead of paying for the surgery. And she died the way she lived. She died of a stroke. A stroke that happened while she was engaged and she was just all worked up and she was intense in this dispute with her maid over the virtues of skim milk. And she had a stroke and died. Now, if this petition, give us this day our daily bread, is about the necessities of life, Hetty had no reason to pray this prayer. But I think even from this brief bio that I share with you today, we can agree that there probably was still good reason for her to pray these things that go beyond the necessities of life. Needs that go beyond her daily needs of the material. There were other things on a daily basis that she was lacking in her life. I think there was still good reason for her to pray this prayer. I think there is still good reason for us to pray those words. We may not be billionaires. But by the nature of the fact that we live in Canada, we are among the wealthiest people in the world. Even if you are here today living paycheck to paycheck, we do not wrestle with the re daily realities of people in other nations who face on a daily basis starvation and civil war and oppression. We are free from those things in our Western context. So how are we to understand this term, daily bread? How do we pray, give us this day our daily bread when MasterCard and Save on Foods do such a fine job for us? Maybe, maybe it's easier if we just drop this part from the prayer. We'll just kind of skip over it. Maybe it was really only intended for people who live in places like Sudan and Burundi and Haiti, where it's a literal prayer that they have a daily need. Or 
perhaps you'll, you'll come with me on a bit of a journey. Perhaps you'll allow yourself to wrestle with this with me today. Perhaps you'll allow me to, to get in your business a little bit with this. Perhaps you'll see the challenge that exists for this petition in our Western culture. Because it is true that in other parts of the world, how this is prayed and seen is different than how we see it in North America. But since this is the context in which we live, since we live in this wonderful land of Canada, let's point out three applications today on how we can still find relevance for these words for us here today. And it begins with this. When we pray the words, give us today our daily bread, the first thing we are doing is we are praying that we will become a more generous people. Now, first and foremost, right off the bat, I just want to establish that I'm not suggesting there is anything fundamentally wrong with wealth. That's not the point that I'm making in the story of Hedy or any other analogies I make today. What we need to be careful of, though, is the place, our understanding of where that fits into our lives. You see, for many people in the Western world, this idea of, of money, wealth, possessions, it is seen as the means by which I can achieve my security, my status. It is the means by which I fulfill my personal goals. But notice, in the words of this petition, it is not saying, Lord, give me my daily bread. But it says, give us our daily bread. See, the first thing I want to understand as we get into this today is that this is inherently a communal prayer. That we are praying for one another. It's inherently a corporate prayer. That we would pray together as one another. And we see an example of what this would look like tangibly lived out uh, back when the Israelites were wandering in the desert. And they reach this point where they, they're, they're crying out for, for food. God, we have no food. We're going to die in the desert. We need food. And so what does God do? One of the ways that he provided for them is he sent bread from heaven, manna, bread that came down from heaven. Now in Exodus chapter 16, we find that Moses gives them instructions on how they're to gather and, and how they're to understand this bread from heaven. And so Moses tells them, each of you in the morning, go out from your tents and gather as much as you need for each person that exists in your tent to last you for the day. Now, some people went out, and, and some gathered much, and some gathered little, which we can understand. They're, the older widow couldn't gather quite as quickly or as much, but she didn't need quite as much. And, and perhaps her, her younger, you know, healthier neighbor went out and grabbed a whole bunch. But, you know, it, it didn't matter, because after they had collected it, they measured it and distributed it to ensure that everyone had enough. And in verse 18 of, Matthew, of, of uh, Exodus 16, it says, And when they had measured it, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Now, keep that in mind, and fast forward to the New Testament, to the Apostle Paul, who's planting churches throughout, throughout the New World. And he's leading these churches from a distance, and he's kind of got his thumb on the pulse of what's happening in different places. And some churches are a little more prosperous, doing, doing a little better than other areas. And he makes an appeal to one church in particular, a, a church that's doing very well, a wealthy church in the place of Corinth. And he's, he reaches out to the people in Corinth and he goes, we need you to help support the poor church in Jerusalem. And here's what he says to them. He says, at the present time, your plenty 
will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. You know, the day may come, Corinth, when, when the scales tip, and at that point I'll, I'll make an appeal the other direction. But at this time, this is how the scales are, Corinth. And so, so I'm appealing to you that you would provide for what they need. He continues, the goal is equality. As it is written, referring then back to Exodus 16, 18, the goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much. The one who gathered little did not have too little. So he talks even in the context of the church, that we are to see this communal aspect of sharing and supporting one another, our fellow believers in the Lord. You see, in God's economy, that's what we're called to. We're called to remember, to support, to, to pray for other believers who are in need. And by extension of this, to support their work in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with those locally and globally who do not know him. You see, we, like the church in Corinth, have much. We have much in North America. But we shouldn't see that as a privilege. We shouldn't see that as, as God's blessing us and nobody else. Instead, when we look at how much we have, how blessed we are to live where we live, I, I hope you won't view it as a privilege, but instead as a responsibility. A responsibility to use that for God's purposes. A responsibility to use it to support those who don't have in other parts of the world. John Piper was speaking on this one time, and, and he explained it this way. He said, God does not prosper a man's business so that he can move from a Ford to a Cadillac. See, God prospers a man so that 17,000 unreached people can be reached with the gospel. He prospers a business so that 12% of the world's population can step back from the precipice of starvation. That's why God does it. It's not a privilege, it's a responsibility that we have in the wonderful world in which we live. Now, concerns like these exist locally, they exist globally. And many of our ministries here at West Meadows are seeking, are, are attempting, are striving to support people and to address some of them. Locally, we have ministries that are looking to make connections with the community that exists around us. We're trying to build relationship, to, to extend and build trust with those who live around us, who perhaps have driven by for years and have never even noticed that a church is on the corner of their, of, of their neighborhood. And this gives us opportunities. We have this growing sense of relationship and trust, which gives us opportunities for us to share our lives with them, to authentically build these relationships and share the grace and truth, the love of Jesus Christ with the people who live in Lewis Farms. But then also locally, we, we as a church support the mustard seed who is reaching out to the underemployed and the underprivileged that exist in our inner city. We support the Pregnancy Care Center who is working with families in crisis, with Camp Caroline that's doing incredible work to speak truth and, and grace and love into the lives of so many, so many children and teens. We support Jasper Place who is working with those who struggle in life in ways that we don't understand. We support missionaries on a national level. We have five national missionary families that we support. We support our conference and our seminary that trains up leaders and equips leaders to go forward to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Globally, we support 10 international missionary families around the world that are meeting the needs of the people in these remote, difficult regions for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And everybody, everybody is welcome to contribute. 
Everyone is welcome to volunteer to help us to these ends. But if West Meadows is your church home, I want to suggest to you that when you go from that point of sort of checking a place out where you're welcome to be involved, when you cross that line to say, this is my church home, supporting no longer is an option. Because we need you. We need you. We count on you to contribute of your time, of your resources, of your finances, to help us towards these calls, towards these ends. Because the reality is this, when we find ourselves in budget shortfalls, as we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, as you'll see printed in your bulletin today, we have to make choices. Those choices begin with pulling back upon administration type things, but once we pull back on those sorts of things, the next thing we need to do is pull back on these ministries. Now, I'm not asking you to do anything I don't myself do. I can tell you this, that for years, Nadine and I have supported the local churches in which we have served and ministered among. And I can tell you confidently with full integrity, for the last seven years, we have not missed a single pay period in our lives where we have not given our tithe to the church because we value it that high and that importantly. I can also tell you this, anytime I stand on this platform and talk about this, or if I email you a video, or if I mail you a letter, I can promise you that before we hit send on that email, before I speak the word, we have already given towards that cause ourselves. I don't say this because we want to brag or seem pious. I say this because I want to lead you in examples of what it means to be generous people. I want to lead by example of what it means to live out the value of vibrant faith, where we give God our all, trusting we will experience his best. I want to lead you in those ways. And Paul challenged his church in the same manner. When he was calling up, raising up Timothy and saying, Timothy, when you speak to your church, encourage them in the same way. Challenge them in the same way. He said this to him in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, command those who are rich in this present world, and all of us who live in Canada fall into that category, command all of those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Command them to do good. Command them if they're going to be rich in something, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and to be willing to share. You see, faith like that, vibrant faith like that gives us freedom. When we have that faith, it gives us freedom to be a more generous people. And that's in part what this first petition is about for us in our context. About being a more generous people. Secondly, When we pray, give us today our daily bread, we are also praying that we would become a less anxious people. You know, it's strange that we live in a place that has so much, and yes, we are also counted amongst the most stressed out nation in the world. We can understand that, like other nations are at the top of that list, we can understand it because they live with things like tuberculosis and malnutrition and civil war and oppression. We can see the obvious reasons that people who live in those nations would be stressed out. They're in these inescapable daily realities that they have. But in North America, it kind of baffles the mind a bit as to why we would be ranked up so high with these other nations. When we have personal freedom and safety and clean water and access to education, employment and medical services, like why are people in North America so stressed out? Well, one suggestion is something that's referred to as as competitive materialism. Heard of that phrase before? Competitive materialism. A very basic summary 
from Dave Ramsey describes it this way. He says, we have this tendency in, in our North American culture to buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. I think there's some, some truth. To various levels, all of us feel the pressure and the tension that exists in that, to buy things we don't need with money we haven't got to impress people we don't even like. That's common in, in our culture. Therefore, I want to suggest to you that when we pray, give us today our daily bread, we are asking God to teach us something. We're also asking him to teach us to be dependent upon him, not dependent upon things or people's perspectives of us. We're asking him to teach us to live principles that Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount. For example, in, in Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you'll eat and drink, or about the body, what you'll wear, those, those basic necessities of life. Don't, don't worry about those things. Is not life more than food? And is the body not more than clothes? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? A guy by the name of Trevor Colson, who's a New York journalist, very accustomed to the rat race of life in New York City, speaks in an article about how he caught a glimpse of perhaps what, what Jesus is referring to here when he went on a trip to Finland, to, to Helsinki, of all places. And as he talks of his time, of his story, his journeys in Helsinki, he says, you know, they, they really lacked any sort of grand architecture. As you go throughout the city, there's, there's no, like, opulent homes. And most people drive rather modest cars. He said, it's a nice city. Helsinki's a nice city. It's a little dull. Very dull, in fact, he said. But a nice city. But you know what? The Finns have great pride in their nice, dull city. You see, the way that they understand luxury has little to do with high-end products and, and acquiring these high-end products and showing them off to other people. They're not interested in buying these things and working hard to buy these things just to lock them up, to protect them and worry about them being stolen. They, they don't worry about getting rich for the most part. They, they don't have this mentality of, I need to get the big SUV, I need, I need to get the big house. And instead, they make trade-offs on their culture. But they say, instead of pursuing those things, we believe that we're contributing to a society, a society that offers free health care, free education, including free college. A society that has well-maintained transportation, well-maintained parks and infrastructure. A society where people get five weeks of vacation each year, and most of them choose to take it all at one time to leave the cities to go and live in bare-bone cottages in the woods. They believe they're contributing to a society where everyone is entitled to an opportunity for fair and equal chance. To a high quality of life that includes more time and more solitude uh, and greater sense of peace of mind. We probably wouldn't be surprised to learn that on that same scale that ranks North America countries near the top of the most stressed out, Finland is among the least stressed out nations in the world. So, therefore, I guess the message from Matthew 6 is we should all go live in Finland. But perhaps not. Because <laughs> if you keep reading through the article, Finland actually has a lot of their own problems that are separate from us. And we shouldn't be surprised by that. Because we weren't called by Jesus to simply have a change of address. He calls us to have a change in emphasis. It's not just a change in address, it's a change in emphasis. It's a change in dependence. That yes, we can make changes in our lifestyle that can lead to less stress in our lives. 
but there's only one direction that he actually calls us to that includes a promise to say, this is the way I want you to move. Because you see, at the end of Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus ends his instructions on not worrying, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness, and then all of these other things will be added unto you as well. Other more contemporary translations say it this way. He will give you what you need if you will live for him. He'll give you what you need if you will live for him. Not live for these things and then add him on. Live for him and he will give you these things. See, possessions and wealth are not a bad thing, but they were never meant to be ultimate things. That while they may be able to meet some of our physical needs for a time, they were never meant, they they were never intended to be sustaining, fulfilling things that are capable of, of meeting the realities of other aspects of our lives. They may fill our bellies and clothe our bodies, but they have no ability to fulfill us relationally, to fulfill us emotionally, to, to help us to feel the spiritual hunger that exists within a person. Nor are the things of this world capable of bringing any lasting hope or any sense of lasting purpose. This is why we spend the first half of the Lord's Prayer setting our hearts and our minds upon Him, upon adoring Him, upon remembering his kingdom, the presence, the power of his kingdom, and saying more of that. I need more of that. That's why we spend the first part of our prayer focusing upon, Lord, what is it you want to do in me and through me? Because you see, he alone is worthy. He alone is able to meet those daily needs that exist in our lives. And when we seek him first and find him faithful in providing our daily needs, Not only does it give us the freedom to live as a more generous people, but it also allows us to feel a little less anxious because we're then able to say in all situations, he's got this. He's got this. But then thirdly and finally, when we pray these words, we're praying also that we will become a more spiritually hungry that craving for bread, spiritually hungry people. You see, one thing that's overlooked quite often when it comes to, to the dangers of, uh, of things in this world one of the things that's overlooked at times when it comes to the dangers of, of trusting in things of this world is that it has this impact upon us where there's a tendency for people to start spiritually drying up in their lives. God warned Israel about this as well. You see, he, he had journeyed with them for 40 years to the wilderness, and when they finally find themselves at a point where they're about to, to enter into the promised land, this long-sought-after, long-desired promised land, they get to the edge of it. And in, in Deuteronomy 8, God says to them, he says, Be careful. Be careful you don't forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down and, and when your herds and flocks grow large and, and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced all of this wealth for me. See, I think this caution is just as relevant for us today as it was for the Israelites back then. Because we've all experienced this in some way. I, I don't think I'm alone on this. When, when things get a little tough, when money's a little short, when, when health gets a little shaky, 
Maybe there's a crisis. We're not sure about what the future holds for us. When, when the kids stray, what do we tend to do? As followers of Jesus Christ, we tend to say, well, i, I got to increase the prayer life. i got to read my scripture more. i got to attend services. i got to pull people around me. We've got to come together in prayer. We, we, we push into those things when life gets tough. But then what happens when the crisis is averted? When the bills get paid off, when the treatment is effective, when we discover a way to navigate the future, when the kids come back home, we sometimes have a prayer of thanksgiving, thanking God for providing that for us. But then there's this sense of starting to back up a little bit and saying, I'm going to cap it off with that prayer, but I'm going to back off as well and say, thanks, God, I'll take it from here. That, that was the concern God had when these people were about to enter into the promised land, is saying, thanks for seeing us through the wilderness. We'll take it from here. Book of Proverbs 30 speaks of this too. It says, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? You see, each day, that daily bread they're speaking of here, is, is this reference to the need to start each day with a yearning, a, a faith in God. Israel knew this when they wandered the desert. Imagine every morning as you wake up and, and you flip open your tent and you emerge with, with hunger in your belly and nothing in the pots in your tent to provide for you that day. Now, some people tried it on the day before to kind of hoard together more because they were thinking, well, well, what if God doesn't show up tomorrow? What, what if I don't have any for tomorrow? But those people who hoarded and tried to store up some for the next day, they woke up to find it stinking, rotting, and full of maggots. You see, God didn't just want to provide them with food. That wasn't the means of manna, the purpose of manna. It wasn't just to provide them food. It was also to teach them to trust in him as opposed to the pile that they could build for themselves. God needed to show up for them or they would starve. But he did daily, faithfully. And they lived that way for 40 years. You think after 40 years, the lesson would have fully sunk in. And yet, as they enter in the verge of the promised land, he has to warn them, don't forget to seek me daily. He has to say to them as they're about to get into the promised land. Not seeking him for manna. If you continue reading the entrance in the promised land, manna quit coming shortly thereafter as they entered into the land of flowing with milk and honey. But to seek him for the spiritual hunger. Because there's nothing in this world that will fill us up. There's nothing in this world that will sustain us, that will nourish us, that will give us the fuel for life that we need to get through these days. I remember when I was a little guy, my parents might remember this too, I was probably about eight. I was, well, I was probably about that, I was still pretty tall. But <laughs> we would go on an occasional Friday night to a, a Chinese buffet, I think it was called Jade Garden on 3rd Avenue, right? And it was like a contest. Who could eat the most? Who could go back to the buffet the most times? And I remember we would pull into our house. You've probably all done this too. we pull into our house, and I was like, okay, I hurt. Careful how you walk. If I walk or bend too much, I'm going to hurl. Right? Because it was so good. It was so good. We'll be home by 7. It's Chinese food. We're snacking by 9. Right? Like, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't fill you up very long. It's Chinese food. I don't, is that just me? We <laughs> also have that same problem. By 9 o'clock, you're snacking again because it's not filled up. You see, the world promises a buffet of items and pleasures that are so good for an hour or two. But then they leave you empty. They leave you hungry and thirsty for more. 
And the only true solution is found in John chapter 6. When Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never thirst. You see, Jesus is that bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life that has come down from the heavenly father. He is the one that can fill, can satisfy, can sustain. He is the one who is the fuel to give us the energy and what we need to get through each day of our lives. And if you are searching for something in this world, then your search leaves you going, isn't there more to life than this? The answer is yes. The answer is Jesus who fills up like nothing else in this world can. Because only Jesus is the perfect son of God who demonstrated generosity like we have never seen before as he gave his whole self, as he gave his very life to pay the price for our sins. That they would not be held against us any longer. We wouldn't have to carry the burden and the stress and the anxiety of those anymore. That he dealt with them upon the cross so that we could be forgiven and come into eternal relationship with our heavenly father. And because of him, we don't need to pursue the things of this world. We don't need to, to say, well, what do I got to do to earn this grace? What do I got to do to earn this mercy? See, we need only to place our trust in him. That daily trust in Jesus Christ. And when we do, when we place our trust in him, when we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, when we seek to live life for him, scripture tells us that everyone who calls on his name, everyone who places their faith and trust in Jesus Christ will be saved. And everyone who believes will never be put to shame for that belief. If you've never taken that step, made that profession of faith, there are people at the front here at the end of the service who would love to talk with you. Or perhaps as we've talked about some of these different aspects of what it means to, to understand daily bread in our, in our Western context, maybe there's something convicting you in that. They would love to pray with you at the front following the service here as well. Because when we pray, give us today our daily bread, we are learning to live by faith. We are learning to live with trust in him. And that allows us to have the freedom to be more generous people, knowing that his provision is not just for today, but his provision is faithful for tomorrow as well. It gives us the ability to live as less anxious people as we seek him first and find that he is good, that he is faithful, and that he has got this. And we're learning to be spiritually hungry, knowing that he is the only one in whom we can trust to fill us up, to sustain us. He is the one we need for the fuel for life. So as we close this message here today, I want to invite you to do something with me. We, you know, we've gone a few weeks into this series now, and we haven't prayed the Lord's Prayer, which is somewhat intentional. But we're going to do that today. And as we do, I, I want to encourage you to, to, to recite this with me. Just whatever version, whatever words you know, if, if you don't know it, just, just close your eyes and listen along. But af after we kind of do the intro and the first petition, just pause for a second. And I'm going to offer a little comment. And then we'll read the next petition, then pause. And the next one, then pause. And we'll, we'll kind of work our way through the Lord's Prayer as, as a communal prayer as we close our time together. Okay? So, everyone with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Lord, we glorify who you are. We sit here in, in just reflecting upon your awesomeness, Lord. Your majesty, your grandeur splendor, the fact that you welcome us into your courts, Lord. Lord, hallowed be thy name. 
thy kingdom come. Lord, we acknowledge that in heaven, your, your kingdom is known and reigns supreme. And God, we want more of that here on earth. We want more of that here. May your will be done. God, help us to understand what, what you want to do in us, who you want us to be, the, the who and the do of your will in this world. Lord, we thank you that your name is honored, that your kingdom comes, that your will is done. But then we also pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. God, help us to look to you for our needs, to our, our material and our spiritual needs that exist that we can find nowhere else. And help us to seek and desire more of that. Then as we finish the prayer together, let's back up one. <laughs> give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.